This show is supported by CoinKite. If you're still relying on a third party to custody your Bitcoin, you don't have Bitcoin. You have Bitcoin exposure and a promise to pay. To truly own Bitcoin, maintain privacy, and to experience all the benefits of doing so, which I often discuss on this show, you need to be custodying your own Bitcoin, or as I like to say, have your 12 magic words. This is where CoinKite comes in. They offer an array of products that allow you to easily and securely do just that, take full ownership of your Bitcoin. They also appreciate how much Bitcoin has become a part of so many of our lives and continue to develop fun and unique products designed specifically for hardcore Bitcoiners. They've been in business for over 10 years and are definitely a favorite company for many, including myself. If you'd like to learn more, visit CoinKite.com. Mr. Encrypt, it's uh, great to finally sit down for a chat with you. Fantastic. I'm excited to be here. I've been a fan of your work for a while now and been watching from afar, of course. And I think we line up on a lot of things, you know, if your uh, Twitter content is any indication. But the the final push was the recent um, time chain codex that you released. And I just finished reading it all today. And man, I don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many interesting components of that, but, um, you know, maybe a, a brief, in, do you want to introduce yourself to, to people that may not be familiar with you and then we'll, we'll get rolling on, on, on everything you're up to. I think my Twitter content is definitely a good indication of, you know, where my head is at. That's like, it's kind of like an, oh, it's, it's lightly filtered view. I almost say unfiltered, but it's a lightly filtered view from my mind for sure. But uh, yeah, I think ho so most people either encounter me through just, you know, on Twitter, just going around and, and shit posting as it were, or through the art, you know? So I think I'm probably most well-known for the Bitcoin full node sculptural series uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, Sailor has one. So I think like that's probably the most visible uh, aspect of my stuff. And then, uh, you know, that was a series of 10 different sculptures. So each one was kind of made out of a different material and they all kind of were based on the same design principle. Uh, but, you know, it was kind of like a calendar that tracks Bitcoin over 132 years because the way Satoshi coded it was just so beautiful and elegant that it just felt like it would translate well into a visual design. So I was kind of just trying to map out Bitcoin as I saw it. So it kind of uh, took the the protocol rules and the things from the actual bitcoin core consensus rules and kind of map them into it as well and also some ethos and other things so, okay it's it's kind of a little uh, almost like a little museum of bitcoin ethos and bitcoin philosophy as well as the the code and the 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 issuance schedule as well and then so that's kind of what i've been doing the past three years and i think most people know me through those projects and then like you said i did have the little time chain codex thing now which was really just a weird experiment that came out of nowhere uh yeah i started almost just looking at the ai stuff saying this is all interesting but it's kind of ugly i was more like making fun of it than anything else and then uh i think as i got into it something drew me into it. Oh, I think what it was, was I saw people that were using it in ways that I just, it caught my imagination. I was like, Oh, this mm. is really creative and neat. You know, it wasn't just like making a picture and having that be the end result. It was people were actually like branching out from just the image. And some people were making tarot card decks. And I saw some guys saying, you know, I've been trying for three years to make uh, characters for this video game I've been working on. I've not been very successful with it. And I used this AI art thing. And in three days I've got all my game characters. And I was like, man, like, this is really neat. And then I saw another person post, 
hey, I made a graphic novel using this in one day. Here's how you can do it. And he posted a little video tutorial on how to do it. And that to me was, you know, I think the trigger. Once I saw that, it was like, ooh, I've always wanted to make a comic book. Like, is this really possible? And um, so that's what kind of got me down the rabbit hole of this, uh, you know, that project that, that you mentioned there. Yeah. Well, for anyone who's not familiar with uh, the Node sculpture, I mean, you you just wildly undersold it. It's like one of the most <laughs> interesting things like I've ever seen in my life. So if you're not familiar with it, uh, you know, check out Fractal Encrypt on Twitter and you'll see uh, links and threads uh, explaining it and showcasing it. It's, a it's absolutely phenomenal. And as you said, you know, the Giga Chad now has one as a halo behind his head on some of whatever <laughs> in, in one of his studios. You know, I don't know exactly where it is, but he seems to have a few different setups and it's uh, kind of Christ-like behind him uh, in one of his studios. So it's it's certainly on display for, you know, all of the pe all the people that he, his interviews reach, which is a lot. Um, but yeah, the uh, man. So I think Gigi told me about Mid Journey like in early August, and he was like, "You got to check this out." And so I I went and got an account. And, you know, you go down this like mid journey hole where you're just like, you get stuck in there. Like you just can't help but continue to refine, you know, images or try different prompts. And, and it, like, it's just stunning what, what it puts out. And, you know, I was just like, man, is this, this is going to change everything, right? Like this is going to change stock photography, comic book writing, illustrations for thing, graphic design, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and then, you know, of course, like many people think, wow, like you could, you could do you could do a graphic novel here, you could do a comic book or something like that. And, um, and there you go, you know, you, you came out with one that is around, uh, Drew's, uh, what was the, the title of that article? Bitcoin's hash. No. You still there? Can't hear you. I th I'm sorry. I think it switched my microphone for some reason. Uh, but yeah, it's Drew Bensall's Bitcoin astronomy article. That's so right. He did a series Bitcoin of three astronomy. of them. And um, I wanted to do, I, I did the first two of them in, in that comic series, the graphic novel. And I heard it from the same source that you did. Gigi is the one that I blame entirely for this whole project <laughs> and like driving me off on this crazy course that spent like weeks of my time. I, I thought like, I was gonna, you know, I saw this, like I said, a video that said, hey, I made this graphic novel in one day and so can you. And I was like, oh, cool, I'll do this in a day. But nah, for me, it took like actually 21 days to to get from like never touching the software before to actually finishing the, the graphic novel. And it was, man, you know, it, it was really philosophically crazy to go through this, this stage of like starting out almost making fun of a project. And then at the end, it's helping you realize this weird lifelong dream you've had of, hey, it would be cool to make a comic book. And, you know, it's like all these things just lined up together you know the bitcoin astronomy was one of those things that just ca captured my imagination as soon as i uh, came across it i actually heard guy swan reading it on bitcoin audible i think he read either part one or two and then i had to go read you know read them myself and kind of like take it in a little slower and as soon as i came into contact with that i was like man it would be so cool to see a comic of this and there's actually posts of me all over twitter trying to convince other people like hey you should <laughs> like maybe do this as a comic book i think this would be cool but no one really took up the mantle so when this project kind of like placed itself in front of me i was like well i don't have a story of my own to tell what would what would be interesting i was like i'm trying to just 
turn this over quick. Like, I'm not going to like write a whole story in a day. So like, let's see what we could take from the Bitcoin meme sphere. And uh, of course, like I quickly landed on Bitcoin astronomy because it's like it's the perfect. pinnacle that I've, I've come into. Yeah. So far, as far as Bitcoin sci-fi and also another good thing about it was that it didn't um, it didn't really have characters in a sense. So it wasn't like I needed to do a character based graphic novel, which is very difficult right now with mid journey. So the, right. the format of it really lent itself well to just kind of working within that. But then the other things about it was like, it's almost like a self serving project in the sense that like, like I hunger for more of this Bitcoin sci fi. And by creating this time chain codex, it kind of like as a non character based story, it creates a framework, almost like we're creating the canon of this Bitcoin sci fi world that exists and it spans millions of years. So there's so many, many stories that can be told within that framework. Like, you know, who are these people that are taking 75 years to go deliver, a, you know, an iceberg to, to right. your Jovian mining colony and stuff? And like, if you live 10,000 years, like, is that like a rite of passage? Like, and, and all the struggle that you go through to Go, you know spend this time and who are these people that are going interstellar missions and these generation ships and so i think there's a lot of those character-based stories that can get told within this framework so i'm hoping that by putting this out there maybe it will start uh, firing up people that are more creative than me to do cool stuff that i can then consume yeah well i'm sure it will i mean when this came up like a couple weeks after Gigi introduced me to it i was like man and i didn't know what people were doing with it yet and i was like surely this would be like a great way to do a comic. Right. And then I told him, I was like, I'm not even, I don't read fiction. I don't write fiction. I'm working on a nonfiction project. And I was like, even I started like making notes about like a, like a novel or like a fiction sort of thing, because like the ease with which you can generate really striking images almost inspires it kind of, as you were saying. And so Absolutely. I think, you know, oftentimes, you know, there's those people that think um, that technology is going to, make humans obsolete, right? Whether it's, uh, well, it, it's always been the argument, right? And and it's absolutely, perhaps it's made more these days because AI is seemingly such a powerful entity on the horizon and people are afraid, you know, like, what, what are we going to do when we have that? And I think, you know, who knows how it's actually going to play out, but I think early indications of something like this actually just reveal that the technology is going to inspire so much so, for people to pull so much more out of themselves creativity in the in the like you know in the sense of like a comic book but comic book but also creation in the sense of just manifesting the contents of one's mind with the now with tools available that enable that so much more efficiently and effectively and at a greater scale and uh so to your point i think there's going to be a ton of like i think there's going to be an explosion of creativity that comes out of this and it's like it's so exciting because it's 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 unprecedented right like you've never seen this type of imagery strung together like this and even i mean i, I don't mean even the codex the codex was awesome i really enjoyed uh reading it and it's funny that you mentioned that like you you kind of had a, a hunger for sci-fi and that's kind of the vein it was in and like of, of course it is because we're talking about you know hundreds if not thousands of years in the future and and uh you're always speculating how that looks and it's kind of the basis of sci-fi but I mean, there's a there's there's a good logic to Drew's article, and as a result, there's a good logic to, you know, the Codex. And so when I was reading it, I was like, I think this is pretty much how things are going to play out. You know, like I think this That's is relatively, awesome. you know, uh, predict like a pretty good prediction of how things are going to play out. 
Well, because, yeah, because I took Drew's article, I kind of translated it into the graphic novel, and then I kind of sent it around to a couple people that I thought might have interesting feedback. And everybody that I sent it to pretty much gave me back some really interesting thoughts. And, and it's just, it puts you in this interesting headspace where you're contemplating these far future ideas, but also you want it to make sense. You know, it's like this has mm. to, like this has to follow through because I've always read comics for a long time. And that's one of the important things is you want to have some continuity between the story. You don't want it to flip off over here and go over here. And I, what I really like about Drew's story is that it, it doesn't, uh, we don't really break the speed of light at any point. So you don't have to do any of this weird hand wavy science fiction that usually happens with science fiction. There's always like, right. Oh, it's so inconvenient for the author that they just like, okay, we have, we have spaceships that go that quick or, or whatever it is where this story, yeah. it goes the opposite direction and it kind of spans out over millions of years. So it gives you this really breadth of, a, of, of expansiveness that you don't need, like we haven't even been a human society this long yet. This, this fiction like posits us so far into the future that we're actually going into other galaxies. And, um, so there's all that part of it, but then back to the AI as a technology thing, it's, it's very interesting because I went through a whole spectrum of feelings on it because I'm kind of a traditional artist. So, of course, there's always the, hey, is this going to replace me? Do I have a job anymore right. type fear? But I think the re like, there's so many layers to that. First of all, like the AI art, in my opinion, is so wonky and imprecise. Like, I'm not super worried yet. And then on the other side of it, it does such beautiful image generation and shape generation that it's a very interesting tool. And I think, like, as an artist, one, like, if I want to make anything at all i'm usually going to go to the internet search up that item that comes into my mind and start looking at reference images of what that thing looks like to kind of get an idea of what my art piece is going to look like now i have a tool that can let me look into a place that doesn't even exist yet and create shapes that don't even have never been seen before and don't even exist but yet may still be in line with this vision that i'm trying to create and it's almost like you're kind of sculpting and molding it and really like you're talking to an ai like you you type into your computer you type words to it it's just how you talk to people on twitter um and also like it uses gpu processing cycles to create the art so there's no like it's a proof of work that's used to create the art and you actually have to pay for the gpu cycles in a sense like to, to create mm -hmm. this art and like someone's paying for that somewhere it's in the cloud and like you can't create the art without without doing that work first so it's just like bitcoin where you have to use computational cycles to produce this digital artifact like it's the same exact type of creation process so i dig all that using it to create bitcoin sci-fi i think it's a neat tool just like a pencil is an art tool or photoshop is an art tool i think this is just a new art tool for people to use and be creative with and and have fun with and do do things but i think it does increase the speed at which we're able to do things so yeah that comic book like yeah i probably could have sat there and draw out the whole comic book myself but I'm not a super fast artist. So 132 pages would have taken me a significant amount of time. Plus I'm very picky with stuff. So like I nitpick every little detail and uh, you know, with this, I was able to just go through and say, you know what, I'm not going to mess with the output from the AI. I'm going to just try to find something that looks like what I'm trying to do, but I'm not going to do any like photo editing or color correction or any of that stuff. I'll just kind of like see what comes out. And the neat thing about it was it does so many things well that I was able to use the codex as almost a little mini museum of AI art. So like not just one style, but like I was able to go through all kinds of different stuff mm -hmm. that it does for the super photorealistic stuff, super comic booky looking stuff, uh, you know, just, just all the different iterations of oddities that I was able to find that it could do. It does these really neat technical drawings and yeah, uh, it just, it, it's, it's very interesting the way that, that that whole project came about. And I, I really enjoyed it really kind of, 
captured me a lot deeper than I thought I was kind of spending all my time from waking up to going to sleep, just <laughs> sitting there talking to this AI. It got like super intense for the few weeks that it was going on. Yeah. And, uh, well, but, you want, but, you, you want to like, so you're encountering, you're interfacing with, with this thing that's able to generate novelty. Right. And I don't, yes. and that, that seems to be novel in itself. Right. So like you, you put in a prompt and you maybe have an idea of what you're looking for. And then what it's, sends back to you maybe there is some of the stuff you were looking for be like oh yeah. shit like i didn't i didn't think about that angle or this color or that imagery and of course like how can that not for anyone who's even like remotely curious how could that not inspire you to just want to probe that thing more like holy shit like you know what what might you introduce to me that is completely novel that not only i've never seen but potentially nobody's ever seen you know it's just too juicy of a question not to like get sucked into you know so most yeah, it's like going to a museum. <laughs> no one in the history of humanity has ever witnessed, nor will witness if you don't, you know, and you get to actually curate what it shows you to some degree, other than the fact that its idea of what you, you say is often different than yours, which is, again, part of that novelty generation. Exactly. Super interesting. Yeah. And, and it, it brings to mind, you know, when you're when we were discussing, like, kind of the the supposed risks of, of technological advancement in obsoleting human beings, whether it's their work or their creativity or whatever, it makes me, especially this type of innovation makes me think of, I think it's a quote by uh, Emerson. And I think it goes, uh, a mind once stretched beyond its dimension or a mind once an idea, the mind once stretched by a new idea never returns to its original dimensions. And I feel like it's, Absolutely. it's something like that, you know, like this is definitely introducing a lot of new ideas and dimensions to our minds like it's literally consciousness expanding in in the way that many other things are in the, in the way that any novel idea is you know new space a new vacuum opens up in your mind and then it's it's there for you to fill with your intent and your will and your creativity and your own influence your own spice but wow and i think that's probably always going to be the case right like i don't think we're capable of creating something that the mind can't layer on top of in some way you know, like we, we, many things will be obsoleted by our machines and already have been, you know, like who's hand washing their clothing these days or whatever, like that's what we do. But I think that helps us, well, if nothing else, discover what our potential might be, you know, kind of scale the pyramid of actualization and be like, well, once we're freed up in increasing domains, you know, you know, the menial all the way up to the creative, well, what then are we able to layer on top of that? Because that creativity just shows us once again, breaches a new frontier of what's possible. And then it seems like human consciousness is always able to be like, well, what next? Like, let's put this on it. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not an artist, so I don't have the same uh, fear as artists might have, but you know, like the text and, and video uh, AI stuff is really accelerating quickly. So, you know, anyone who's going to bring anything up, creative needs not, to, yeah, yeah, needs to be wary. It's not just one thing. Well, I wasn't even thinking of the the wariness. It's almost like all of us creatives have these new tools that we can now leverage, which do things like, okay, you have writer's block. Well, hey, there's an AI that can write for you. What do you need it to write? <laughs> write about jelly beans that, that hop around in space. Okay, cool. Type it in there and see what it comes up with. And Well, G you know, Gigi just you put out that article. Did you did you yeah, see it recently? Yeah, he said and, it. and he yeah. and he let the uh, the GPT GPT three finish off. I think he started like the paragraph. And he let the AI finish it off and he didn't say so only in the footnotes. And so most people didn't catch on to it, but that's exactly that, right? Like, you know, if you're, that if you do have a block, it flip like, it over to them. 
Yeah, AI was basically making arguments against itself, which was like super mind bending. So I, I love to see how he did that. So yeah, there's these text AIs, there's these video, the video AIs is something I think it's going to be really neat to see. And I think like the meme warfare power of these tools is going to be amazing. You know, like instead of having to look for a funny picture that goes along with the weird thing you want to say, you can kind of generate a Maybe picture. So. Mm and then throw your meme on it or the same thing with videos or any of this stuff. I think that's going to have a, a huge effect on the meme community to be able to gen self generate. I mean, part of the thing is if somebody does a funny thing or picture, you got to make fun of that, but there's other things that you could just make, make fun of conceptually as well. So, uh, do, I think do you there's going to, do you know if happen. these, yeah, I totally agree. And did you use mid journey for all these images? You didn't use yeah. uh, like Dolly or any of the other ones? I got it. I did get a Dolly account because um, I guess you have to request that. So I sent them the thing and said, hey, give me access. And they did. Um, but I did all the images for this through Midjourney. So not how for much, any, how, like, how much money did you spend? Oh, well, I what I did was I, I created first I created an account and it was like 50 bucks for the account or whatever. And then like I was I spent the weekend trying to learn how to use Midjourney. I'd like never touched this software in my life. So I just before I even was gonna get into a graphic novel, I just figured out how the heck do I even make this thing do anything. So it took me like three or four days to do that. And I think after the first day or so, I like ran out of the credits in quotes. Like I guess you have like a certain amount of fast time. Yeah. And after that, like you can you can still use it forever. It just slows down like significantly. So then I was like, okay, fine, I'll like pay another like 50 bucks or whatever the amount was that it like has you add. So then I did that and I started like learning how to see how much it was using. I was like, oh, this is using a lot. I was like, I think I got a better deal when I just signed up for the account. I was like, so you know what, I'm going to sign up for an additional account. So I ended up like creating three separate mid journey accounts. So I could have them all open in different screens and like, like V generating images for that, that 21 day period. So I had three separate accounts and I think over each of them, I, I use like thousands and thousands of GPU hours. It was like crazy. The, the, the amount of time that I spent sitting there like playing with this just to get the 132 pages worth of images. So right. uh, I think in the end I spent like, I ended up spending $200 or so in mid journey credits. So it was interesting right. to think like, Hey, you know, like these guys are kind of getting a decent amount of income from the, like they're building this interesting software. They're putting it out for the community yes it costs gpu cycles you want to use it like you know it's only fair that you, you pay for the cost and hopefully they're making some money with it too so i thought thought it was a really neat like value for value trade there to use their computational algorithms and stable uh, a lot of play that can happen there as well so there's, there's some say, say that part again i you cut out for a second Oh yeah, I have weird satellite connection. I'm kind of out in the middle of nowhere, but I was just saying that stable diffusion has a lot of like free ways to use it. Whereas mid journey is basic for mid journey. You can use for free as well, but if you're doing a large project, like I was doing where you're trying to generate a graphic novel or something, most likely you're going to have to pay them to, to not like actually yeah. to be able to complete your project. Cause I think you only get a certain number of images that you can generate for on the free tier, but you could at least use that to find out if it's, to your liking, but to be honest, it took me longer than the, than the free tier to figure out how to generate images that I was pleased with. So you do have to understand, like with any art tool, you're going to have a learning curve, and there's going to mm. be a time where your your taste is much higher than your skill level. So you you kind of know that you're producing crap, and that's like frustrating. You just have to work through that part of it until you get to the part where you're actually understanding. Hey, this is this is how I generate images that that I find pleasing. 
Yeah, I got to think they're making pretty decent coin because it's like a compulsive thing. At least it was for me for a while. Like I would be using it up and it'd be like, you've run out of your shit. Do you want to add another 10 bucks? And I wouldn't even think about it. I'd be like, yeah, fuck yeah. Just let me keep going on these variations, you know? So like, what were you doing with it? You're just playing with it? Yeah, yeah. I was just playing You didn't playing have with a project. It. That's awesome. No, yeah, no. I think that's great, man. I hope they are making some money because I think it's a really neat way for the, you know them to keep developing this because i think like the technology this month is much more like significantly better than it was two months ago and you know so by it's improving as, as it goes dramatically like if you see the like right now mid journey is on what they call v3 it's on their v, uh, third version of it and um that is significantly better than the the v1 and v2 like like dramatically so i would say and the time that v3 has been released is probably around when you, you were talking about gg showed it to you so you were probably using v3 already when it was out but that was just just brand new so um right that was august we're only in october now so this is like super new as far as the the level as where it has reached so i just think that number one it's good that they're doing it in this cool way where, where it's an obvious monetization there's no like weird like hey ad model or anything it's like pay us to use it and it's based on gpu cycles that to me as a bitcoiner is like super obvious and fair uh so i i just dig that model but oh. I, like i said i do want to mention that stable diffusion has methods like where you can plug it into photoshop and things like that where it's free and you're not like actually paying them to do it um so open source ai is also interesting yeah as well the whole time i was just like man lightning would make this whole process so much better you know i know most of their <laughs> customers probably aren't using it but just yeah. imagine like you know you don't even have to fuck around with like you just every to every variation you make is like 10 sats or something and mm -hmm. as you click the variation button you're paying automatically and you just go to town you don't have to worry about oh. paying anything <laughs> you know wouldn't that be great that would definitely be great <laughs> i i think like that that actually makes so much sense because it, you know that instead of streaming content it's almost like a click to like you you're conscious every time that you click you're spending sats yeah and maybe a little but it does have goes a weird addictive or, yeah. it does have a weird addictive part of it because like i probably experienced that although i can hide it under the fact that i was like doing it as a project like oh i'm making a graphic <laughs> novel but like totally i think i was there with you and like also like like i said i kind of blame Gigi totally for this because he made that post that said mid-journey i can't stop and then i started like looking through his post and he's like oh stock photography is dead like look at these amazing stake pictures you can generate this is yeah like, ai did this there's no stake and then the the famous meme you know tomer i think posted with like cypher from the matrix eating the the ai generated steak it's like i know this isn't real but it tastes <laughs> it tastes i don't care and but man like, now like, we're actually you, in that world <laughs> like you just always want to see what's behind the next variation you're like who knows maybe it's the thing I want. And then it comes in, you know, like in, in bursts, like, you know, 15%, 30% and it starts to take right, shape and you're, you're just there waiting. Come on, come on, come on. And then it, you know, it does it. You're like either holy shit or, Oh, this is close, you know, click variation again. And yeah, I, I think it's, that's going to be, I mean, we know how social media kind of happened upon the human race and maybe a lot of people weren't ready for it and it's had both positive and negative influences, but yeah. You know, and this is kind of the the AI version of that. Uh, we'll, we're discussing a kind of an example of that. Uh, but I think you ever see that movie Her, where Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with the the AI the AI. Um, yeah, I did girl? see that. That was crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, that's completely conceivable, right? Like when the AI doesn't just generate images and doesn't just finish your sentences in a you know in a way that's almost well that deceived a lot of people in terms of the article that D Gigi put out. 
but that like, yeah. you know, knows human emotions very intimately, you know, you know, has, has the entire corpus of human psychology and has, you know, gone through all rom-coms and romance, like just has all that data and is able to interface with, with human beings in a, in a manner that's ex extremely emotionally addictive ultimately. Like what, what happens then? I mean, I mean, I think we've already reached the point where where Alan Turing would have to admit that some of this stuff looks very human-like in terms of the conversations. Like, I've seen some of these, like, AI to human conversations where you interview them or ask them questions, and you know it's not, like, thinking in a way, but it it's convincing it's to you as a human <laughs> yeah. that does think, you know, and you do have emotions. And, you know, like, I think, like, that article where, that they published where the AI was afraid of getting turned off, you know, the the... the I was programmer at Google or Microsoft or something. They actually fired him because he, he believed oh, that, yeah. you know, that yeah, the yeah. AI was, was like worried about getting turned off. And, and, uh, but when you read the, when you read the transcripts of the, the conversations and, and they may have been doctored or edited or, 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 or shifted around a little bit to the form I read it in, I would be a little concerned too, that you're like killing this entity, you know? So I think we're in a very interesting space as far as what, humans perceive and emote in terms of these these technologies and yeah i think they'll they'll only get better but i do think it's it's a it's it's just more things for us to leverage and like you said every tool is dangerous or if you wield it properly it's going to be beneficial so it's just a matter of learning how to use these tools and not not letting that addictive cycle overtake us and, and where we end up in the ready player one world and there's no you know no world outside our trailer park <laughs> yeah well i mean i do I think technology uh, imposes an imperative for us to develop emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, materially, um, because it, it, as you said, it can be so powerful. And that's, that's the, the blessing and the curse, right? Because I think us being able to increasingly, well, up till this point, you know, you could say that culture broadly speaking, the material world is us just manifesting our mind, right? Like ideas come up and we either individually or collaboratively, collaboratively make them real in the world. Um, and so like, you know, the world we we're, we're always interfacing with the, the contents and the products of our mind. And now, you know, AI is still that, but it's one that's able to uh, generate novelty absent our direct, uh, you know, prompt or our, our direct, you know, intervention, it's able to kind of do it independently. And, uh, I still think, you know, mechanically, like, you know, philosophically, let's say the process is still the same. I mean, that, that introduction of novelty into our lives is going to be a, you know, razor's edge, but if we walk it properly, it's going to mean the further development of our consciousness and, you know, the good, the things well, the, the ex exploration and extraction of, of our potential we'll, we'll be able to further that process that perhaps we've been engaging in since the beginning of time, we're, we're able to see what we're capable of. The flip side of that is, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And, and that's why it's a pressure, right? Because you either kind of actualize your highest potential or you potentially destroy yourselves, both, both as right. an individual or as a collective. And it certainly you sounds need like people that do a little of both, you know, in order to to create the inertia to to push it to 
to the you know to the mainstream consciousness so you need some people that are using it properly and, and you need those other destructive people as well just i think all life will have those those duality balances yeah uh, and it's just your 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 path has to be to keep you on the path that's going to be more productive because certainly that 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 um I don't know if the desire is the word, but you know that that pull for you to take your attention and place it somewhere where it's not going to benefit you is extremely strong today. You know, and every every yeah. single direction you turn tries to pull you away from whatever your path really should be. So I think mm -hmm. it's really hard for us to to consciously say, you know what, you know, I have to actually shave down all this stuff and and focus where it is. And then sometimes you end up in one of these places where your path and the distractions are meeting. Like like okay, I have this project that i'm trying to complete using mid journey and it's also like a little bit addicting so you you, you get to play in these spaces where uh, you know I, I i find that to be very stimulating and and the project was extremely gratifying you know to be able to come up with a physical like hey this is like a proof of work that i've now completed and you can kind of put put it out there for all times like you know okay I've, i did the project this week but maybe a year from now two years from now someone will read it and they'll do something for their their mind or uh, you know their 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 life in some way and, uh, so i think that that's a neat neat tool to be able to use because if it does allow us to iterate quicker then more content can be put out and also i just think it's a really neat tool for people that are doing things like say anything that you wanted to do you want to think about like hey i want to make a movie well you can actually storyboard out the movie and in this ai thing and it may not be exactly what you have in mind but you can you can get the basics down and that's an easy way to translate and tell other people and get them excited about it if you just have it in your mind and you kind of explain it to them there's a lot lost in mm. communication i think because sometimes when you're into a project or you're into a design you know it so intimately that when you describe it to others like you said i kind of undersold my my design before <laughs> uh, maybe it's because i just lived in it for so long so like right. the thing, so uh, yeah I, I find these extra well i think we've all had like that experience maybe you're trying to get a logo done and you're working with someone and you tell them what you want and they send it back and you're like this is nothing like yeah. <laughs> I was talking about, you know, because it's fully, it's almost fully formed in your head, but it's completely different in somebody else's. So, you know, yeah, I agree. you need to give a napkin scratch version to the artist, yeah. at least, you know, like, Hey, this is kind of what I think. And, and yeah, to get them, to get them somewhere along. So that's exactly what I'm saying. So yeah, if you have this tool, you can actually convey your ideas in an easier way. And that's another thing Gigi is doing is he's using the images and then kind of putting them along with, uh, you know, his articles and, and uh, tweets, things like that. And I think that makes it a lot more powerful. It's not just an image, it's actually an image plus an idea. So that, that's a meme, you know, that that can transfer far and wide. A hundred percent. And I mean, like the reason, one of the reasons I asked you about the cost was like, I mean, how much would it have cost to like hire a graphic designer to produce one of those images, even if they were even capable because they're so kind of That's complex an and novel and stuff. And it, it probably would have been in excess of $200 for one. And you were able to Absolutely. produce whatever it was, a hundred plus for that amount of money. So that alone just brings down the barrier cost wise, at least to more creation. And, and that's a super point. And, and not only that, but I'm extremely picky. So like if I worked with another artist and I was thinking about this the whole time, if I was working with another artist and saying, Hey, make this. And they were sending me a back and I'm saying, no, I don't like that a million times. You know, they're going to get insulted at some point and right. stop working with me. The AI, you could just keep on saying, no, that sucks. That sucks. That sucks. That sucks. That sucks. That sucks. Oh, that's a good one. And, For now, you know. Until they fire back. Like, listen, motherfucker, you said that sucks a little too much. And my, and my AI feelings are starting to get hurt. And then you'll start to believe it too. And you're like, oh, damn, I, have to I better be nicer. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that uh, like you had done some study in the first couple of days to figure out how to do your prompts most effectively. Like what 
you know, what kind of hacks can you share? Like, what did you learn that helps produce the images you're looking for? Oh, I had a whole bunch of things that I did. And one of the most successful things I think was searching both on the mid journey, like forums, and also in the mid journey, like there's like a gallery or something where they kind of have like a, a, a yeah. mid journey site where you're logged in or something and has a community feed. And, and both that and the and the discord have a search. So if I wanted to kind of like, get like an idea of what Midjourney thinks a certain word looks like, then I can plug it into those searches and see what starts to come up and see what like, what is what does it think that word means? And then what happens when you put other words along with this word, because everything like now you're basically using text to describe, you know, text is your magic words to, to tell this thing like, hey, I have a magic wand, I want you to make me this. Right. So this is like the way that you learn your spellcraft in a sense is like how other people are doing it. And that's one of the neat things about Midjourney is that it makes it open source in the sense that a lot of a lot of people are just generating images right in the public areas of Midjourney. So the entire prompt that they're using on a prompt is just a series of uh, string of text that you tell into the AI for people that aren't familiar with that. It's basically an instruction. You say, hey, make me a, a chicken that's flying over a red forest or something and then it'll try to do something like that but usually it's super imprecise and you won't get what is in your mind so by searching in these forums to see what other people were getting sometimes there's thousands of results for something and sometimes there's none so it just depends on how you phrase it i think so that was one thing i was doing uh there was also something called methesis or something i'll send you a link so you can put it in show notes later and what that does it's an ai analyzer so you can basically take any image take a little screenshot of it and feed it into this ai and it will analyze it and tell you what it thinks that looks like so you're basically using oh, cool. an ai to say hey this is this to me looks like this and then you could take those words and feed it back to Midjourney, and then so then like see what it gets you. So you're kind of using like, hey, this is like the image that I kind of like. So what do you think this looks like? And sometimes it was like coming up with words that I really had no idea, but it was actually super powerful in Midjourney. So I think that a lot of those tools were very useful to me. But nothing was more useful than just sitting there and messing around with it. Yeah. Um, another thing that I did is it has multiple algorithms for Midjourney that generate different types of images. So it, it generates a, an image quality of one normally. So if you just type in, hey, make me a pig and a frog that's flying over here, it's going to do it at X quality, which is considered one. You can actually tell it, make it at a quality two, all the way up to five. So any one, two, three, four, five, one would be ridiculous to put in because it's defaulting to that. But you can tell it to go up to five. Each one of those like uses a little more resources, a little more GPU cycles, but it makes it better. And then there's two other algorithms, one called test and one called test P. Test P is for like a photographic level result. So if you want something that looks like a photograph, you can use this test P algorithm. So if I wanted to make something, say I want to make a cat and a window, I would use four prompts. So I would say a cat in a window, then I would do a cat in a window quality three, cat in a window quality five, cat in a window test quality, a cat in a cat in a window test P. And then I would try all those and test and test P also have a second level algorithm called creative that you can do. So I would also sometimes try those. So I would try this one series of words in all those algorithms and just because each one would give you different stuff. And once you start seeing what they do, I would see if any of those were successful and kind of got me in the direction I was going, then I could start adding into that. So um, I was basically just leveraging all the different ways that it might look at things. And then I found out that you can also tell it seeds. So, okay, like once you found something that kind of like, oh, I like how it's treating this, you can tell it like 
any seed number and this could be any anything you make up from one to like four million so i'd use like bitcoin number seeds like a 2121 or 21 i couldn't i think i couldn't use 21 million because it was higher than 4 million but i could use 210,000 or 2016 so i would use these bitcoin number seeds to generate images and the seed definitely it does two things one if you're generating images across a whole bunch of different words like hey i want a cat and a frog and a pig and a thing and you make them all the same seed it will give them a continuity uh, mm -hmm. that you can follow or alternatively if you use the same thing and switch the seed it gives you like wildly different results using the same word so and i would do all kinds seeds, of things. so like you'll get a you'll get a, a result and like stamp it with a seed that you can layer on you just write it into the prompt like you just say hey i want a cat and a frog and then you put dash dash seed and then you just make up a number space number and then you Got tell it. it another thing i found out for my comic which was super helpful was that you can set the aspect ratio so like i would when i was drawing the comic out i actually would set all the 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 panels up so i would know exactly what the size of the panel is that i needed for that set of words right. and then i would generate the image at that exact size and the thing was before i learned that i was like losing parts of my image you know like hey right. i wanted the comic panel to be a rectangle but it generates a square and i'm losing this really cool part up here that was frustrating so i i learned that you could just tell it hey print me an image at this size and what it, it worked like to any weird size and most of the algorithms test and test p have limitations on like how they'll how skinny they'll get but like once i was able to do that it really helped tell the comic story because it's like hey this panel has to be really tall and skinny and you can make an image that fits that I, like i i found that to be very helpful project wise as well yeah you know as i'm as i was reading um the codex today well there's two things that well, many things that came to my mind, but two things that I'll mention here. One is just how, um, you know, like we, we touched on earlier, this was done to be like a sci-fi sort of comic. But as, as I said, like when I was reading it, I was like, yep, this all makes pretty good sense, you know? And so like, there's a, it almost imbued in me, well, it did imbue in me like an enthusiasm or an aspiration for making, engaging in, in the process that would, you know, further this enterprise, you know, so there's an aspirational or inspirational component to this stuff, I guess, as there always is. But the point I'm making here is because, because the logic was, because it didn't put in all that sci-fi hand wavy stuff that you mentioned before, like, it was pretty logical. And then as I thought about that, I was like, how will this affect education and understanding moving forward? Because like, I've read uh, Drew's article, spoken with him, and I, you know, understood the thesis, I think fairly well, or you could say like, even with the Bitcoin white paper and that, that one probably maybe was a little bit more, uh, opaque for people at the beginning, but what if that information was told in this sort of a way, right? Like anytime you had something that was technical, but obviously just by virtue of the tech, you know, the technical details being true or working in some way, it means it coheres with a narrative in the material or real world. And so what if you just, you know, you imbued, you created a narrative through this extremely helpful set of visualizations that conveyed, you know, what was formerly just kind of boring technical, you know, jargon. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it really, the, your, the, the codex really impressed upon me the capacity for education and entertainment to to mix in a, in a, and that's, you know, those have always, they've always been, uh, closely related, but 
less so as you get into more sophisticated topics, right? So like, you know, a kid's education, it's very heavy on the entertainment integration. And then as you move to, to, you know, more sophisticated themes, it kind of leaves it. But I just, I, it, it just made me think like, wow, because the, the, uh, the understanding of Drew's thesis that I think people will get from the codex, no disrespect to Drew, but will, will probably be more, uh, like palpable or easy to comprehend than just reading his, you know, extremely detailed and extremely interesting art, uh, article. You know what I mean? So it's, I don't know. That was just a takeaway that I, I had as I was reading it that I, I thought was interesting. Can't hear you. You still there? Man, I, I don't know. I think for some reason it keeps switching my mic, but um, but that's, I think, now that I'm back. All good now. All right, cool, cool. Um, I think I lost my train of thought there, but um, I think you, you were saying that. Yeah, I got it all. Okay, so I think what this does is it brings me back full circle to the Bitcoin full node sculpture. And in fact, like a secret that I use in all my art is to use it as an educational tool. That mm. is one of the things that I'm trying to do is trip to basically take information and present it graphically to people in a way that's going to be interesting to them and, and in a way that they wouldn't normally encounter it as. So if you come and see the Bitcoin full node sculpture, you may not have any relationship to Bitcoin. You may not have any knowledge of computers, but you might just think this looks interesting and cool. And that may make you interested enough to kind of look into it and check a little further. So my, my intention with the codex was exactly as you were saying, just to make it maybe a little uh, maybe make it uh, accessible to a different type of person. Like, so Drew's done such an excellent job in putting it in this, this textual format that maybe I could do it some justice by putting in like a graphical format that may appeal to other people that, that kind of take in information that way because we all learn different ways. And Drew's explanations in many points, in many places were super technical. And Tomer like uh, helped me go through a lot of that and actually like make it a little more... Um, relational to to people mm. so i think a lot of that that you were seeing there was was tomer's magic because i told him you know he's he, he told me he likes to make things where they're accessible to people that may not be super familiar with bitcoin and i was like wow you're a much nicer guy than i am because i'm just like <laughs> fuck it let's make it as technical as possible and you know like everybody if they don't know what it means they'll just catch up you know like it's like right. maybe it'll spark something that they go but his his was like a total 180 where it's like no we want to make this like do you want to be like super highly technical or do you want them to like understand like what you're trying to convey and it's like okay yeah we want to kind of like make this a coherent a coherent story and uh, so i think like having these different avenues to present the same information is valuable and i think that, that yeah you totally keyed in on something that i was trying to do so awesome yeah i think um you know this is a point that peterson often makes as he analyzes you know biblical narrative and the, the logic or wisdom or truth contained in, in those stories is, you know, we, as you said, you tried to make it more relatable. And, and what did you do in order to do that? You narrativized it, right? You took what was kind of a, a technical thesis of some kind sure. and put it in narrative. And of course that, that appeals to more people because that's the way we think, you know, we think in relation to ourselves and our story. And so when we, mm. when we see that, when we see information laid out in a similar manner, I think it resonates, you know, a lot more. So, you know, anyone out there listening, I mean, someone should, wouldn't it be cool if someone did something like the time chain codex just for the white paper, narrativize Absolutely. the white paper and put all sorts of amazing imagery around it. And maybe that'll appeal to 
a lot more people than it does in its current form. And it, the, the same an idea, the same truth will, will be in there and, you know, can be conveyed, but just in a, in a different format that, that people are used to, because the vast majority of people don't, aren't used to, and are, are kind of incapable or not, you know, uh, they're not drawn naturally to resonate with technical explanations of things. Um, yes. but of course, but narrative, absolutely. And, um, you know, so I, I, I think, you know, perhaps this technology will, will simply, will, will perhaps further push education more in that direction where the, the technical and the narrative combine to accelerate education, both about ourselves, about technical topics, you know, about the world more broadly. And that would be awesome because, you know, one of the issues with education and information has always been, you know, at least part of the complaint has been like, well, it's boring. I don't want to learn that. Like, it's just, it's too dry. Well, throw it in a super compelling narrative where the, your, the impression you're left with is the same. The understanding you're left with is, is the same, but you know, you, uh, you have more than a skeleton, you know, you have some meat on the bone and how, you know, and then again, like, why is the biblical story? So why was it so profound and why has its impact been so profound when it's mostly understood simply in its narrative form, maybe not in the, in the way that, you know, Peterson elucidates through his various lectures. And I think that's because, you know, that's, that's the pair of that. That's how narrative coheres with the way we think, because we think in narrative. That's amazing set of thoughts there for sure. I think I even heard the other day, someone say that when we hear something in a story, we're X amount percent more likely to remember it than if you just came across it in any other format. So I think that that number one is a a very interesting point, how story can convey a message, not only more powerfully, but also in a more lasting way where it like resonates harder in that person's life and they actually bring it farther into the future with them. So it's almost like you've keyed in on this extra Bitcoin or skill that, that maybe people need to hone is this, this way to take technical stuff, be creative with it and transform and like translate it in a way. Cause that's the way, the way I kind of looked at what I was doing with Drew Bensall stuff was kind of just translating it into a graphic novel format. So totally. I love the idea of translating the white paper or something like that. So hopefully some Bitcoiner listening here is going to be uh, inspired by that and go off and soon we see the cool white paper uh, graphic novel, because I think that that, that is going to be a really neat way. Yeah. A really yeah. neat way to connect with people would be to just, to do it through story because storytelling is something that takes us back all the way, you know, to when we sat or campfire at prehistoric people, uh, you know, story was, was pre even words and written you know, pre written word, not pre spoken word, mm. but, uh, you know, that, that's something we've been attracted to for so long that, that you definitely want to bring it in because I think a lot of Bitcoiners are technical people and they're also highly creative. So you're going to have a good crossover of people that can take this information and then translate it well. Um, that was another thing about the the kind of Bitcoin comics. Like I've always been a huge comic book nerd. I've read comics since I was a kid. I've like, I still to this day have like tons of comics on my tablet, like gigs and gigs of comics and stuff. So it's like, I've read every Bitcoin comic so far and I really like a lot of them, but a lot of them, they come at, at it from a different, almost the perspective in 2014s they were kind of trying to explain what bitcoin is to people like hey this is what it is it's a decentralized money there's 21 million and um sometimes you run into things where there's these interesting fictional stories but not a lot of them went like this super far fiction or like like that that drew was doing so i thought that this was an interesting direction to go with which hadn't been explored yet so so that was fun as well because i think a lot of times for for me as i want to I want something in the world and it doesn't exist yet. So it's like you try to 
create that yourself and see how that goes. hundred percent. That's the way it should be. And speaking of yeah. which, I, I assume this is going to be like printed in high gloss and available for sale. Cause it's, I think it's going to be like a piece of Bitcoin paraphernalia that like pretty much everyone's going to want, or at least a lot of people. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I was, I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with that because I made it, you know, free and available for everybody to print themselves. So I wasn't sure if there was going to be much interest in me, me printing some, but it does seem like it. So I'm going to try to, I've actually been trying to put something together where I'll do a cool hardcover printing and maybe do like a really fancy edition and, and sign them or something do like it. that. Because yeah, my, my wife too, she's like, I want a hard copy of this. I want yeah. I want one. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Awesome. Fuck you know, yeah. those so, yeah, so probably like do a it. nice, nice, you know, high quality quality gloss prints because there's you know that's just the nature of how striking they are you know and yeah, i love it um when you when you were putting it together you know kind of pulling the thread further on this educational aspect of this did you enhance your own understanding of one drew's thesis and potentially even you know your own novel uh additions to it as a result of you know this is the other you know kind of trippy thing about narrative right like it allows you to connect dots more easily and that actually i'm gonna kind of a big aside here but this is kind of one of the trippy things about ai as well right because you're 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 just putting in prompts that are words and like what's what's a what's a word what's a yeah what's a meaning of a word where does that come from and the answer is like it comes from you know the meanings of all other words right and they 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 define each other and they construct like a, a system of meaning as a result. And so like, what is that probing in order to, to like kind of lock in the, the proper matrix of meaning that all of these words uh, combine to create, like, you know, uh, maybe the, maybe yeah, the AI engineers too. can answer that question. Certainly not me. Well, that's interesting to think about because, of course, you have the words as their own self subset of, you know, hey, this is what the word means on its own. But deeper is what you were saying about the context. So as you add it into the sentence, what like now what does it mean? It could be something totally transformed by what that word means on its own. So that that part is super deep uh, to, to just even think about. But certainly my understanding of Drew's article got deeper by having to put this together uh, for sure. But then I think even more interesting for me was some of the editing or some of the conversations that I had with people as I was uh, talking to them about the first draft and kind of thinking through some of the concepts because it just brought you so far out there. We'd get into these really deep conversations and it's like, okay, wait, we just spent 30 or 40 minutes talking about like the what ifs here. We didn't, we only worked on two pages. So <laughs> <laughs> like, we, like I need to get back and focus or we're never going to get this done. Yeah. So yeah, it's that part to me was probably my favorite part was just because those conversations bring you into a space where you're just totally disconnected from the current world and you become, you become placed in this world that you've now created created because it's i don't know i just I, I really enjoyed that thought experiment of of the what ifs and and absolutely i think i got became deeper connected to the story itself but also the the first 30 or 40 pages i would say i had to totally create just to make the story make sense in quotes mm -hmm. like just to kind of like to give it that narrative feel so that it was like not just starting in kind of, I think Drew's story starts, like it kind of assumes everybody's a Bitcoiner and you kind of know, and then like you start out in 2140 and now we're in Mars. So I wanted to like lead up to that. And like, how do I, how do I frame this? And I thought the neatest way would be to just like have it be contained within a Genesis block of, a, you know, of leaving it back and, and it has the story within it. So I thought that 
forward from there. So that to me was a neat experiment because then I, I wanted to see like what's relevant. You know, I can't take people too far out and just like give a whole history of humanity and time from the beginning because then you're going to get bored. You want Bitcoin content. But I, so I took two, two distinct pathways. So it was like a history of timekeeping devices and then a history of economics and, and finance and stuff. So I, I kind of took those two paths and led them up to uh, computers in the 70s and 80s and then you know into like the, the networking and bitcoin thing that happened and i kind of had to do that quick but it still took a whole one of those books so uh to, to do that but i thought that that was a really enjoyable thing to do as well just to in the mid journey journey that i was on to see how it could take me from the beginning of time and move well, us forward. yeah that's that is super interesting and that's that's actually was part of my point with the ai example it's like you had to find a narrative tether in order to build up the, the narrative that you were trying to put forward, right? And so you had to find like a point or several points where you could be sure that like the context that that would provide would would provide context for, you know, the the audience that you were trying to address. You know, so it's like you, you're you're looking for previously established, you know, mutually affirmed or verified understanding of something in order to serve as a basis for you to later push the bounds. You know, and again, like th this is just narrative 101, right? That's what you have to do. But it's so interesting that in order for the AI to do that, it, it kind of has to, yeah, it, it has to know more about like kind of the broad narrative so it, it can triangulate or dial in on what you're trying to nail down, you know? And um, so Absolutely. maybe that, that's, that's a rabbit hole in itself, perhaps. But the the thing I wanted to more so ask is, not only did your understanding of his work, Drew's work, uh, expand, but I think I, I'm kind of repeating myself, but I think this is part of the point of why narrative can be so helpful with understanding, because rather than simply having the technical stuff, now you have, you know, the human component, as it were, right? The, the emotional, the aspirational, the psychological, the, the social, all that stuff. And does that not give you more information to properly contextualize how this thing plays out. And so I like my question, which I think you mostly answered already was just like, has this affirmed how you see this Bitcoin story playing out because you've added in so many other elements that are real that help you increase the credibility perhaps of, of your notion of how things may play, <clears throat> play out in the future. So like, you know, is this, is this a prediction almost, I guess, is, oh, is certainly. what I'm getting at. Certainly, and I think that's one of the fun things about being a creator is that you can kind of put in those like those things that are kind of your core beliefs or whatever, things that maybe are narrative to you that you do want to include. Like, And to some degree, it's like we get hit with so much narrative now in our entertainment. I tried to keep that minimal, but there's certain parts that I threw in that it was just like, hey, you know, like this is, this is what I think it's going to be. And this is just because who I am and it's my thing and I get to do that. So I think that that's like a powerful thing by being a creator that you, you can do that. But I also think to one of your other points is that as a, as an author or somebody that's telling a story, you want to draw in your reader. You want to give them a reason, number one, to be interested, but also to kind of stay with you as you go through this journey together. So I think like that was interesting to me because I had two audiences in a sense, like one, I have the audience that is like you and like every Bitcoiner that's currently like here, like would be the actual audience who's going to read the comic book. But in, in the story, like my audience is actually humans on earth that are like millions of years in the future that are actually receiving this. And it could actually be 
other civilizations because like i said that they're sending this this message in all directions even though you only really have to send it in one direction to get from andromeda to the milky way so they're sending in every direction and that's in the hopes that maybe they'll land in some other civilizations that, that we haven't yet encountered and which is so cool because you have this language of math which other people should understand and truth and like should should kind of a line over there and it's like his part three the bitcoin astronomy part three is basically the law is that if you are an intellectual thinking civilization eventually you will build a time chain and that's kind of how we'll, we'll end up connecting and communicating through through these vastnesses of space so i think that 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 is really a neat thing as well if i had more time i would have done part three too but <laughs> yeah well there's two things i noticed about that and and one i think when i spoke to drew uh, I think he he mentioned this, but it would be kind of cool in the future, like when civilizations encounter themselves, that they they'd be able to learn or or kind of know where to place each other by how much accumulated proof of work you know is represented in their time chain, right? So they kind of it would be kind of a heuristic or proxy for knowing how advanced the civilization might be, you know. And so that that's absolutely a, kind of that's a cool crazy. notion. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, it gives you a record of how much time. Like, hey, we've been doing this since X Genesis date, and like, this is how much our accumulated difficulty is and proof of work up to this time. So it does have a lot of this information just just within the the chain itself. So I, I could totally see that. And and, and there are there are like, you know, certainly a lot of corollaries in our own civilization in, in our own history uh, up till this point. I mean why is it that so many ancient cultures all over the world, be it in Central America, South America, Africa, China, built pyramids, you know, as, as one of the, you know, their main works. And what is that? But like proof of work, you know, showcasing, you know, manpower and energy mastery and architectural and mathematical sophistication and all of those things. And it's like, there it is, you know? And yep. if you, if you showed up, just by virtue of looking at that, you'd be, and that's what we do now, kind of in archaeology, right? We, if, if a civilization has that kind of stuff, we're like, oh, wow, they were, they were fairly advanced. Whereas if, you know, it's just kind of mud brick huts and, you know, hearths and stuff like that without much megalithic architecture, we're like, oh, they were, they were not a highly advanced civilization. But if they have Mayan or Egyptian or Chinese or what have you pyramids and they're enormous and they're complex and they're, they're uh, astronomically aligned and all that kind of stuff. Then we're like, wow, these people were were really advanced. And it's the same idea, right? There's just a it's mastery a over energy and mathematics, basically. Absolutely, yeah. It shows, shows X amount of, of proof of work has been done, and you've stored it in this this way, and you've transmitted the data across time in this way. And, and certain media are just better for doing that. And so, you know, in the past, we've used stone and carvings and things like that. And now in the future, maybe we'll use, you know, digital cryptography. Yeah. Tra transits through space. And actually, I mean, you know, that rabbit hole, the, the whole ancient history rabbit hole is a deep one in itself. But, you know, there's a lot of people that believe that with many of these, um, you know, megalithic uh, architectural projects in the past, um, Giza Plateau being probably the the one that's, the most speculated around this, but it, 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 as you just said, it's not simply um, a representation of their, you know, their proof of work, their mastery over their environment, let's say, but it actually is intended to carry a message as well, right? And the message is encoded in the placement of the monuments in relation to certain um, astronomical uh, constellations in certain periods of time. And, you know, as the, the thesis goes, 
these civilizations were trying to communicate certain things happening in certain times, perhaps as a warning, perhaps for some other reason, perhaps for, you know, who knows, you know, we haven't really pieced it together if there is in fact something to piece together there. But a lot of these sites do have very interesting numbers associated with them and astro astrological significance, Angkor Wat's another one in Cambodia. And you got to wonder like, well, you do have to wonder like what's trying to be communicated here, but I think it's at least plausible that not only is it like, is it impressive because of what they were able to build, but just the, it's fascinating how it's just kind of another fractal representation of attempting to combine, you know, work and, and information. I mean, and they're also timekeeping devices something. like Bitcoin in many ways as well. So there's there's these deep connections. You're totally on a vibe that like I've been transiting on myself. Like I, I the the time chain codex was actually something I was on vacation from a different sculptural project that I'm doing that's actually based on a lot of those old pyramids and stuff. So I have like a Giza and a and a, and a Kukulkan from. Um, Mexico in there and I'm actually looking at a lot of the math and the geometry in fact the way that I'm doing some of the 3D modeling is strictly through math so instead of actually just drawing it out or doing the modeling like sculpturally some of it I'm just doing as like I built the entire Giza pyramid just using equations pretty much in this 3D modeling program and that was probably one of the most satisfying things to ever do because it's entirely built by math and like I was able to kind of reconstruct that in the same way and there's actually mathematics in Giza which it's a really neat thing because they've almost proven that, hey, look, we hold this knowledge, yet we don't even recognize in many right. places that, that the Egyptians did hold that knowledge. They'll say, oh, that this equation was developed in the 1500s by this mathematician or something. But yet you're like, yo, this thing is sitting right here in front of us. <laughs> How did they do this? 10-story yeah. building. <laughs> like, no. So I think it's a really neat way to, it's like a proof of work and time stamping, like, yo, we, we, we. We have this, you know, so I, I think there's a lot of uh, you're on an interesting path there that I, I align with. Yeah. I, again, like the reason why I use the word fractal is because so often when you if you're curious enough to kind of delve into all sorts of phenomena, both human created and otherwise, so often you see you see a similar pattern involved in in the manifestation of something. And why wouldn't you? Right. Because, you know, the universe is ordered by. A certain set of laws and they perhaps operate differently at different scales but there's a common thread between them that gives things a similar character and uh you know as far as civilizational advancement is concerned i, I think the example that we just use is probably a pretty decent one of that you know the other thing i i noticed in the book and maybe this was just my own sensitivities but you seem to like to take to be careful when you were asserting that there would be other coins, right? When Mars coin would happen and that it would be like legitimate and then soul coin, you know, mm -hmm. like it, it seemed like uh, you were careful to make the case why like that is natural and good and, you know, almost kind of joking or almost like not to enrage the maximalists who think the whole universe is going to be divided by 21 million. Oh, well, yeah, you know what, that was um, partly intentional in that way, but partly because I had to come to that own realization myself, I think, because when I first heard um, Guy Swan reading the article on Bitcoin Audible, and he got to the point where they're going to have 
uh, and they they called it Musk coin. I intentionally just got rid of all the Musk references, and we didn't right. want to Mars coin. But so the, <laughs> in the in you. the story, yeah. So I made these little like you know like uh, artistic license changes and stuff. But no, like this is when I heard that it, it, the first time in the article, my my Bitcoin maximalist mindset immediately was like, oh no, why do they? This is just <laughs> retarded. Like why would they ever go to like a Mars coin thing? So I think that my own personal transformation through the story was something that I was able to communicate to others because I, it makes sense to me. Like you were saying, there's some things that just kind of make sense. Like, like I've talked to some people where they say, Oh, well maybe we just like Bitcoin would move to the Mars, would move to Mars. You wouldn't need another shit coin out there because it's just, everything should be Bitcoin. But then that would almost require hard forking and we'd have to hard fork in a way that our, our block time is something that we'd work with the center of hash. So, okay, we have to have block times that are more than 22 minutes. And like those type of changes seem less realistic to me than a self-sovereign money for the planet. So I think a lot of those things that translated through the book were, were actually just things that that I, I had thought through. And this wasn't something like I had read Drew's book, like Drew's articles once. It was like I had listened to him multiple times on Bitcoin Audible. Like I listened to him. I sat there and I read them multiple times. So I really had internalized a lot of this and kind of thought about it and like, like what is and what about this? And like, what it like, what are the implications here? So. It, yeah, I think maybe some of some of that deep thought that I put into it was able to to translate in a way that, hey, this this makes a little sense. But I certainly was careful to say that, like, number one, this is natural, but also it's not it doesn't harm Bitcoin in any way. It just it's just like a manifestation of other people's desire for self-sovereignty and and like what that looks like when we actually have different physical geographies and stuff like that on a planetary scale. Yeah, I thought you handled it really well. And it's such a fascinating thing to think about. So, you know, for two two primary ways I'm thinking about it. One, it almost seems obvious now after reading Drew's work, but in particular after reading yours, that the incentive to go and discover new planets, new habitable planets, the primary incentive won't be like space is cool, I'm interested in it. And it probably won't even be, you know, the preservation of the human race, because mm -hmm. really, how many of us really care about that when it when it comes down to real yeah. actionable incentives? And it's probably very few. But do you want to be the one to bootstrap a new time chain in a new planetary system and all the benefits that would accrue to you to be the initial miners of that and, you know, start a civilization that way? Well, I mean, I think Bitcoin's success is going to inspire many people is going to incentivize many people greatly to want to do that and so they'll be like well sure i'll take the risk you know to go to wherever and you know bootstrap things and you know high risk high reward and i mean it it, it almost seems self-evident now that that's how uh you know at least a human species is going to attempt to populate you know the, the solar system and the galaxy like that's that's going to be the primary motivation no, I love that you brought that up because that was absolutely mind blowing to encounter that type of thinking, because even just the fact that, hey, you know, we can have these asteroid belts that now you're mining and you're, you're, you're gathering whatever power source there, there may even be like exotic energy sources that we have no clue what they are. And you can harvest that locally and then transact glo like globally in the celestial sense, because I think like, okay, that 
that absolutely makes sense and i totally see it as a future way that we're going to populate but to bring it back like to where we are today um when i i read um ross stevens uh, investor letter that he put out in 2020 or whatever that was uh, i'm not sure if you're familiar with that but yeah, he, yeah. he had a paragraph in there where he talked about how bitcoin's energy use was going to transform the world and we'd actually turn places that are like at this point they're just kind of desolate like you can't get there but they're beautiful like paradises mm -hmm. but there's really no reason to live there because there's no industry you know nothing you can't like you can't get a job out there but bitcoin is going to incentivize people to go there and hey now there's a waterfall here well hey we can get hydropower from this waterfall and like actually create a community here based around this energy stranded energy source and harvest it and create community and, and abundance for us in this beautiful location which at one point was totally off limits to humanity so like that part of it kind of i i put also in the story so there's one part where you know like Bitcoin's basically transforming humanity in that way. Like we're, we're basically harvesting these energy sources in these remote areas and it's allowing people to flourish in these places that, you know, Earth has these paradise places that we just, we're not currently using for reasons. And I think Bitcoin gives us these reasons to actually go there. And the fact that it, you know, as above, so below. So we have this thing happening on Earth. Well, why couldn't it happen throughout the solar system? And again, why not? why not throughout the you know interstellar things and it makes so much sense like you say like human greed is one of those things that you're never going to put a cap on so somebody's going to want to say hey like if i can get away from the center of hash of all these other miners out here we can have our own time chain and we'll be the first ones to mine it and no one else can can say shit and here we go so i think that's going to incentivize a lot of things yeah like sometimes you might have to buy a planet or two <laughs> yeah i i love the idea of you know stranded energy resources basically being tantamount to sequestered economic potential and all you need to do is you know basically start mining on them and whether it's a you know a, a volcano or a waterfall like literally you could you know the the water flowing over the falls or the heat the steam mm -hmm. being generated by the volcano that can be converted into economic the, the highest form of economic potential that we have and of course you know that's going to attract people that want to live in these places. And so I incredibly bullish for, you know, the various Shangri-La citadels that might emerge around <laughs> this earth as a result of that process playing out. And side note, you know, as I was reading the time, the codex, I had to smash by a few times just because I couldn't contain the bullishness and had to Beautiful. pick up some more Bitcoin as I was reading. But, you know, another in related to like this, uh, uh, what's the word? like pioneering, you know, going out and discovering new mm -hmm. planets and stuff. I think it's going to be so fascinating to kind of the science of time chain parameters, right? So like, you know, because you might say like, well, uh, we want block time to be a certain multiple of the rate at which the speed of light traverses the planet, something mm -hmm. like that. And that gives you your, your sure. hash horizon. But, you know, and then you say, well, what are the trade-offs for that and block space and how does that affect the economics of of block space and usage and throughput and all of this kind of stuff and i you know who knows how we we know a little bit of how satoshi came to the numbers he came to but we don't have full information on that and i think as this as we have more uh, opportunities to kickstart a time chain there's going to be more consideration given to that there's going to be like well given the size of this planet and any peripheral planets that are in our orbit that we expect we will, you know, want to use, harvest, populate, what should the parameters of our particular time chain be? And, you know, in, in the codex, you kind of, um, you basically suggest that there's 
there for as this process plays out there won't be much conflict between um different planets because everyone will be basically have a hash horizon that negates the the useful the utility of their hash for interrupting sure. you know someone else's um uh time chain or someone else's network and i it, you know like that makes total sense but i wonder if like in the future the kind of like you know in the past like when we had city states or or small countries and stuff and there'd be like an annexation of some kind or 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 maybe in in the settling of the US right where you know the the spanish said this is our territory the british said you know no this is ours they fight over it to see you know whose line drawings are are the real ones like might it be the case in the future that you know if for adjacent um planetary systems let's say like maybe one planet sets their hash horizon or their their block time to encroach on you know the planetary properties of other ones and then there's like it's almost like a declaration yeah, of trade a war or something it like that. It could be a game theory there. According to the, according to my understanding, if you had too long of a block time, it makes you vulnerable to other interests. That, like, if you do make it so that you can encroach, those people could then kind of band together and then attack right. you, possibly. Right. Uh, but certainly, there's game theory in there, and, and no question, I think there's going to be a proving out. And the time chain codex does actually have a time and period in Mars where there's like a very, you know, disorderly time of, of shit coining going on and, and there's like almost like <laughs> the the sound money economics that that are yet to be developed of it of interplanetary and intergalactic time chains you know like that stuff will probably prove out by shit coin after shit coin dying out until you end up with like the the one you know that hey this has a monetary policy that we can trust and it, you know there's no wonky stuff stuff going on and then you create your laws based on well why did that happen you know like why, why did we collapse around this bitcoin mm -hmm. version you know and i think like that's another thing i liked about drew's idea was it was kind of like using bitcoin as the model so like you have this as the model and now you kind of have bitcoin like time chains springing up in in planetary environments but then as soon as you go outside planetary if you need to interact with each other like hey how are you going to do that and i just love this stuff because it's, uh, i always wondered how you know how you pay for your bar your drink at the space bar or how you you know gamble in space roulette like how does this all go down you know i can't just all be credits <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and then the idea of like the, the, well, the idea of the layering or the scaling of these, you know, from planetary to solar system to, you know, perhaps galactic neighborhood yeah. galaxy, you know, all that kind of stuff and how the, and it was really interesting how you zeroed in on the, the time preference that almost be is one kind of necessary for such an expansive region or the time rather for the for the block time is necessary for such an expansive region but then also as we all know with with how bitcoin seems to be influencing us in a variety of ways and time preference certainly seems to be one of them how you you kind of you illustrated how the time preference of such a long block time would influence behaviors and would interact with longer lifespans of people once it reaches that scale and that you know block times would be on the order of it was like 10,000 years or, or, yeah. or something like that. And it would be for like, you know, very great works that take, you know, millennia to complete and or enormous, you know, transfers of enormous value that are on the scale of, on the galactic scale rather than on the, you know, planetary Bitcoin scale for perhaps. And you would need, uh, that currency would be better suited to uh, transact in those things. And also it would be, uh, 
it would you it would be contributed to it would be uh strengthened Every, everyone in the galaxy would be able to hash that um to mine that coin as well and contribute hash to the mining of of that system and in that way collective resources are pooled but everyone is still able to maintain their planetary currency and it, it facilitates a means for interplanetary and intersolar interstellar and intergalactic trade i mean I mean, anyone listening to this probably thinks it's it's kind of nuts, but it does make you know read the article and read the codex, and it's 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 pretty compelling theory. Yeah, I think taking them together is the best way. You know, like I think you you kind of want to have both the the source material of, of the articles and kind of take that in because there's a lot that I wasn't able to include from that. I tried to take as much as I could from the articles and put it into the the codex, but certainly there's a whole bunch of very interesting. Um, really thought-provoking stuff that you'll get from just the article but then when you combine it kind of like pair it with the graphic novel i think that like gives a, a good base to really get your your mind around some of these long time scale things i think that was one of the things that i had to think about deeply was when yeah if you've actually achieved some kind of technology that allows human lifespans to extend past what we currently know significantly then your time, your time preference changes as well. Like, okay, you live for 10,000 years. Well, now 75 years isn't such a long deal. Whereas right. like before that was like 75 years, like three generations of our family, you know, now it's not even like a 10th of your life or something, not even a percent of your life. So you have to think in different ways. And some of these, some of these coins are like, also the fact that there's these heliopolitical risks. So like you're having these galactic coins that hedge you against the risks of a planet, like, because, okay, you might not have a black swan happen on your planet, but if you're in a whole galaxy of planets, you're going to have black swans popping up here and there all the time. So you have to protect yourself from the riskiness of these planets. Uh, so I, I love just the way that they, you know, like all this stuff is kind of considered and um, really I was just kind of laying it out, you know, most of this is true. You must have been like partially blowing your own mind as you were putting it together, though, right? I mean, anytime I try to write or think about any of this stuff, I, you know, the epiphanies seem to be pretty common. I imagine it was the same as you were doing this. Absolutely. And that's actually another really strong argument for 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 the going through the creative process is that it just it piques your own interest in things you're already interested in and allows you to go down that rabbit hole in such a deep way. Because I think if you're trying to convince an idea to someone else in some way, whatever that is, like whatever you're creating, it's, in most ways, it's an idea that you have, you're, you're translating it to other people, then you want that to be something that they can, is accessible to them. So mm -hmm. I think that's one part of it. But the other part is that you get to just totally immerse yourself in this world that you're you're interested in. So and you do kind of blow your your own mind as you're going through it. If it's if it's the right path, and that's kind of how you know you're on the right path is that it's interesting. You you maintain your own interest through the project. If you don't, then okay, drop it, go to the next one. Yeah, it's I just I find it so fascinating how this in, this impact that so many people seem to be feeling on their time preference as a result of Bitcoin, right? As a result of perhaps having a greater sense of security or stability further into the future than ever before and how that influences how you decide to allocate your own scarce resources time energy and it's just so fascinating to think or to observe how that's kind of changed value structures within people that that's happening to like it seems like the more you push out the time preference the more people devote themselves to for lack of a better term might be more virtuous works or more virtuous behavior 
And, you know, there's probably a lot of interesting reasons for that. But suffice it to say, like, if, if that is at all accurate, what happens when you can push out, you know, that sense of stability in so, so far into the time as a result of having time chain nestled within time chain nestled within time chain, right? Like what might mm -hmm. our future counterparts be striving to manifest if, if that phenomenon that I just described is multiplied by several orders of magnitude in terms of how it impacts them. I mean, it's just, it's, we, there's no answer to it. Right. But it's so, it's so interesting to imagine it. Well, yeah. One of the parts in the, in the codex talks about how at, at some point we begin creating these mega structures, like the Dyson spheres and these, these, these like huge mega structures that take thousands of years to complete. And so that means you have to pay workers over thousands of years and your contractors and your construction workers, or, you know, so what kind of money is it, you know, coin are you going to use that can, can withstand like these thousands of years time periods, but also like the project itself consumes more energy than entire planets and stuff to build whatever the heck this thing is you're building out in space. So it's, uh, I, I just love things that really that kind of put you in the mind frame to think of these things because in order to create something you have to come to the, the idea first and you go from idea into actualizing it and it's like sure we're not there yet but eventually like it doesn't seem unreasonable to me that we that we would create these huge mega structures that can harvest the energy of stars like it doesn't seem with it like totally outside the realm of possibility um you know like in speaking back of giza and old pyramids and stuff like when people say oh these are made by the aliens to me that's always insulting because it kind of takes away from the like what we can do as humans is so amazing that it's just like i feel like you know like this is stuff that we did this is our heritage and like like this is where we're going you know and, like, like we're, we're on yeah. the way to mega structures in space <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i think maybe that's a you know some people have a certain well, first of all, who knows, but some people might feel kind of a sense of nihilism, nihilism or something around the human species and therefore not be able to attribute, you know, such sure. high works to them. Um, but I think it's more likely the case, probably like you, that our ancestors actually were smarter and more capable than we, we know, and we are therefore able to give them credit for. And they knew a bunch of stuff that we might not even still know now. I mean, there's certainly a lot of mystery still surrounding a structure like the great the Giza pyramids, perhaps more than any other, you know, ancient structure in the world. And it's always been something that's fascinated me so much because like the, the whole idea of losing knowledge is kind of weird, right? Because you just assume yeah. it's this, it's always this unbroken chronology of, you know, caveman to space station. And mm -hmm. it just, that's, and that's kind of what what's impressed upon us, but I don't think it's accurate. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the mysteries of history kind of suggest that there were you know, periods of great advancement and then collapse of some kind. And in that collapse was lost elements that allowed those places and civilizations to be as great as they were. And perhaps not all of them were recovered again, you know, because it's innovation Absolutely. is not simply, it's, it's not like there's only a, like one road of innovation, like the, the, the whole, as we were saying before, regarding the, the kind of instrumental, the time influence. chain is discontinuous. Yeah, and, know, the, like, and, and, and like our data and culture and, and yeah. all the information that's floating around has a big impact on how people engage the world and therefore what innovation actually means. Like innovation to me and you versus innovation to, you know, uh, someone that lives in the Amazon versus innovation to an ancient Egyptian. Mm -hmm. th th there's nothing to say that that all would have been the same. Like the context and the cultural dynamic and the spirituality, all of that can great 
could have greatly influenced what they deem to be innovation and technology and and things that elevate their their individuals and their culture. And if those cultures face a decline or they collapse or they're lost in some way, then we not only lose you know their records of of what they came to develop, but we lose their way of thinking also. And there might be tremendous value in the perspective that they developed. And it would seem, especially in the case of ancient Egypt, where they thrive for 3000 fucking years, you know, in this high culture, kind of out of nothing in man, in ways that we can't, we still can't explain that their perspective probably was, did have, um, was constructed with certain perceptions and certain values that we can no longer access. We can't put ourselves in their mindset and therefore we're kind of, perhaps we're cut off from some of the insights and innovations that they were able to derive. No, perhaps about it. It's, it's, it's absolutely sure that, that we've lost data. We've lost history. We've lost information. I mean, if you think about it, like even just assuming if we go back 10,000 years as a, as a species of humanity, the printing press has only been existence, which is in the codex since 1586 or something. So we're talking only five or 600 years that we've actually had an ability to do pr printing uh, of, of language that we're transmitting like that prior to that. Okay. We had stone and cave drawings and stuff like that, which is not super transmittable, but it does last a long time, but uh, you have great gaps in knowledge and how much you can transmit on a stone tablet is greatly reduced compared to how much you can store in a book versus how much you can store in a USB stick, you know, so we have these, so it's, speaks greatly to how important something like Bitcoin is that's creating this one true history that goes back un uninterrupted and we can actually tell where it starts, where it begins, where we are today. And there's nothing lost from it. And we know it's a complete and true history. So we never had anything like this before. So I think like we are, we have been a victim up until this point of greatly reducing the amount of data that we have. And even today, it's almost like the, the way that we access data has been so corrupted and manipulated that we're not even sure if the data that we're consuming is true or accurate. Like there's so much misinformation that's thrown at us mm. that that's actually a tactic that's been used to kind of offset this, this great like outpouring of information. That's like, Hey, it may, the only way we could slow this down is we can't actually slow it. So we have to like throw things in it. That's unbelievable. So that not everything is, is viewed as true. So, you know, it creates this confusion, even for a rational thinking person, like, Hey, like, like, is my information good in any way? Like, can I trust my sources? What are the sources? Mm -hmm. Who's funding all this? <laughs> I yeah, think I totally. got to go off on a rant there, but you know. No, I'm, I'm obviously totally with you on that. Um, and it's interesting, right? Because the information that the time chain will carry won't so much, not that it, I mean, I'm sure it, perhaps it'll be used in this manner in the future, but it's not like it will carry, like this is how we built the pyramids type of information, but it's almost though, as though it, it carries information that's almost, Maybe more important, although perhaps not as useful if you're just coming at it like clean slate. But it, it, you know, it's basically saying this is how we've collectively used energy to collectively determine value, like intersubjectively determine value. And what is that doing? Like it's the more we can do that, the more it's pulling potential out of us, and we're agreeing that that the potential that's being pulled out of us is good almost, you know, and that's why it, 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 it continues. Like it, it, that's why it grows over time rather than contracting. It's like the, the value that it's revealing to everyone who engages in this is growing over time. And that the time chain is a reflection of that process and the amount of energy that was used to 
bring it about. Um, that's a type of information that I think is incredibly profound, although not immediately apparent how useful it would be to someone. But I mean, the whole well, notion let me on that, like, I think you have, I think you have hit on something here where you have like, okay, you have this limited data space in the time chain. So yes, you can't fit in all this. Like you may not have a romance novel on there and you're not going to have the whole of blockbuster or Netflix, like on right. the time chain. And that, that may like be a good thing in many ways, but um, it does limit you. So you have a very, like, like you have a very specific and limited data set. That's, that's, that's this truth here. Um, and then, but then, I guess there's the other side of that. If you have planetary blockchains where you have a little bit more block size, then you can include messages like the time chain codex, which actually, again, it's like a bare minimum of important information. It's not everything. Right. It's not everything that, that humanity has produced at that time. It's just a, it's just a like, Hey, here's, here's what's going on. Here's a very limited data set, but it does contain a history of, of some information and then yeah we'll probably have to have some kind of external data data storage that's just not quite as resilient as a blockchain but um you know also you know somewhat resilient so yeah i think all that is going to be well in, even in the interim telling even, our story yeah totally but even in the interim it's like even to the extent that you use the blockchain for you know non-transaction data it's like well, you better make sure that information is super important and valuable because it's going to be taking up extremely valuable space. And so that might be like a, a decent interim filter for making sure that what gets most, you know, preserved is, is real and is not all the kind of, and, and, and very important That's and good. not all, not all the bullshit that, that, you know, all the noise information that we contend with today. But I think and the chain limits how much you can put in there as well, right. because I've actually put a bunch of messages on chain. And right now you have an 80 byte limit. So if you're going to say something, you have to be concise about it. Number one. And number two, you also want it to be 100 percent. Right. Because if you fuck it up, it's visible to everybody for the rest of all time. So right. like, yeah, I totally agree with you that when I do use it, it's like I'm putting something there that's important or meaningful to me. I mean, of course, we all know there's like at Pepsi ad, you know, the version of Pepsi ads on chain from 2013 or whatever. But mm -hmm. um, I do think like. It's it, every, but I also am of the of the mind that it's like if you pay the fee, then you know there's no such thing as spam. But it it's self limiting because you know there's a limited space and and it costs money for every every character, every text that you want to put on chain that you're paying for. Yeah, man, it's it's, <laughs> it's so interesting. You know, I just I'll have to think about it more after we we get off the call. But again, even though it's not actionable information, back to the point we were saying when like one civilization rocks up on another and you know like yo let's have a look at your uh how much accumulated proof of work you got going on and that will it just seems like it's obvious that that would be such a, a good heuristic because again it's like it's it's a representation of how the collective was able to i mean what is value is a very interesting question i've been dealing with it a lot lately but suffice it you know without going down that rabbit hole just saying like their collective, their degree, their capacity for coordination and collaboration has built up this degree of work in service of that collaboration and coordination and what it might result in, you know, what they might manifest and, and create together as a result of that. And that's what the accumulated proof of work in the time chain will tell someone who's looking at it either in hindsight through history or if, or if it's contemporaneous, you know, you, you visit an, an, another planet or civilization. Yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, just endlessly fascinating. And I'm going to be very interesting to see 
how it plays out. Yeah, I saw an article the other day that that was talking. It was also based on Drew's uh, Drew Drew's work, and it was saying why a proof of stake blockchain wouldn't would could never be a choice of you know like any kind of inter, intergalactic society and it gave examples of why like you know if there's a proof of work uh society somewhere versus a proof of stake you know these people wouldn't even really care about interacting with the proof of stakers because it just, <laughs> it just didn't have any real world value it's like they're making up their own physics and all this stuff going on out here versus you know as above like so the, below right exactly exactly <laughs> so. So yeah, I think that is like a way where you can tell, hey, is the species intelligent? Like, are they shit coining, or do we want to talk to these people? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, you may not even have to go there. You can just spy on them, and be like, oh wow, look at that proof of work. Let's go down and say hi. You know, they're not likely yeah. to attack us or try to blow us up. These people need another NFT ICO cycle or two before we can go talk to them. <laughs> wait, wait five years, we're coming back. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, man. Um, I'm sure we could talk for ages. Was there anything, you know, on your mind that uh, you wanted to chat about before we shut it down? I don't want to, I don't want to take up yeah. too much of your time. No, I mean, I think we cover most everything. I'll just reissue my desire that I hope every Bitcoiner listening out there like gets inspired and creates some cool content. I, I think we have a lot of really neat nonfiction content in the Bitcoin society. I'm kind of jonesing to see what you guys want to come up with as far as not uh, fiction content. Like, what, like, where does our imaginations take us? So mm. I fully support that. If anybody's doing projects or you're working on stuff and you need help or ideas, like, feel free to reach out via DM. I'm always happy to help and spread the Bitcoin word as long as we're not doing no shit coining we do filter for that <laughs> so well man you know, i think bitcoin only message bring it i think your work in the codec well all of your work but especially this most recent work in conjunction with the tools that people are now recognizing are available is going to create a fairly strong is going to inspire a lot of people to engage some of the creative juices so first of all i thank you for kind of kicking that off and you know i can't wait to see what bitcoiners i mean my final comment is this, I, you know, I want the Bitcoin Renaissance for the same reasons I'm sure many other people do, right? Just the, the peace and the prosperity and the, you know, the lives that we can construct uh, for ourselves and the communities we can engage with. But one of the things that excites me the most is I just think it's going to be literally like aesthetically a beautiful thing. Like I, I think, and, and again, this is, literally the process i mean we're not it's not like we're waiting for this process to start your work here and the work of many others thus far even though even we're only 13 years into this is emblematic i think of how this thing is inspiring and is also freeing people up to give them the time to create you know because of course if you're just on the fiat hamster wheel perhaps you, you don't have the opportunity but the more people that become free the more people that get inspired what bitcoin represents I think the more that, you know, there's an impulse to express and that's going to come out in visual art, architecture, you know, in every conceivable way that creativity can uh, express itself. And like, when I think about the Bitcoin Renaissance or when I think about how, however much of that future I'm going to be able to experience, the thing that gets me the most excited is how much beauty there will be everywhere, or at least how much beauty I'm I'm, I'm seeing, like, I think there's going to be everywhere. And, you know, so you, you're definitely uh, an early pioneer in that process. Well, awesome, man. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, I really am excited to see that future that you're talking about. And I totally believe in that. And, and I did think the other day how our entertainment has just become so corrupted in every medium over the past yeah. few years that it's 
kind of sacrifice the storytelling in place of narrative. Like it's more like, hey, we're just using this content, this entertainment in quote context uh, that you get that you're getting as a narrative delivery tool. Mm. And like it's just very painful to almost need to watch any shows or movies nowadays. It's like almost you want to go to this old school content and um like I was even, you know, I've hidden in comics for many years because like I was able to get away with it in comics and we didn't get like this weird infringement. But recently, I would say over the past like six months, it's totally hit over there. And like even in even in comic books where we're getting like narrative driven. So I think as Bitcoiners, to me, it's important to see us take back this content creation. That's why I was mm -hmm. kind of promoting like Bitcoin fiction, because but it's really Bitcoin creation in any form. If you're a painter, if you're a sculptor, if you're a writer, if you're whatever the hell you do, like we need to take back content creation totally from these people that have destroyed content. Content, just turned it into a narrative driving medium or at least turn it into a bitcoin narrative driving medium if we're <laughs> going to use it like let's use it against them we're like me warfare and shit but you know like i think that also like these principles and the ethos of bitcoin like we take this stuff we package it it's 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 palatable it's real it's it's something that people can touch and, and think about in their own minds and lives and i think they're going to resonate with it and i think the more of us that go out there and, and create content that people can can like you were saying like they see a story and it resonates with them it's gonna it's gonna like bring more people over to this mindset because i think like bitcoining bitcoin maximalism is just rationalism it's just like hey i've yeah. had to look at the world and this is just where things lie like rationally for me and i think other people will resonate with that so i think again i just want people to create for us because we have a limited space and if we just like our time and our attention is so important and everybody needs entertainment you know like we all want to kind of be entertained and lose ourselves for a bit there's huge value in that and we just don't want to subject ourselves to these like corporate narratives like as our only medium uh, of entertainment so i think yeah. by taking that back and bringing it in house for us as bitcoiners made for us by us that's going to be powerful and and i think people will support that you know like you said you wanted to buy my comic book i'm like i don't know. I have no idea if people are going to care for that I'm like i don't know if i do that it's like yeah now i can take an idea turn it into something physical it can like trans transit the whole world end up in your house in your hands and your mind like this shit's crazy dude yeah 100 <laughs> percent. and i i you know i think the effort to make your particular book physical will definitely be worth the effort so i do hope we see that but you know i i, I totally agree that bitcoin is such a and i you know it, it's such a meaningful thing to inspire this creativity and as you said i mean like it's cool to read like whatever comic you're into like but it, there's a gap where you know it's fantasy almost you know like well i'm never going to be wonder boy or you know superman or something like that and so even though it's entertaining and it can be even inspiring in certain ways what i love about the creativity coming out of this place you know tomer's videos another great example this you know lots of people who i'm you know blanking on right now but it's it's entertaining and it's inspirational and it's aspirational you're like it's it's laying out a potential future that you want to move toward and you can that's the point it's like it, it's available now depends on your you know potentially your proclivities as a creator maybe you make it a little bit more outlandish or less or whatever but the general point is that we're the theme that you know we're dancing around here that's generating a lot of this content and creativity and inspiration is real and so you know we're, we're basically exploring potential futures rather than just imagining futures that will never be and i think that has um maybe a per perhaps unappreciated uh contributing impact on how this all plays out and you know so let's see more of it i want to i want to see more of it 
Yeah, like how you said, it's aspirational. So it's like, it's not, it's like actually like, hey, it's something that we can aspire to. And it's like, almost you have this vision, you paint it out for others, you make it accessible for others, you make it a reality. So it's like, you yeah. go through the, you have to go through these proper steps and stuff. And, you know, I think that's a good place to leave it. I think we, we covered a lot of ground here. We got people probably super out there. <laughs> I really yeah. had a great time. Thanks. Yeah, me too, man. I, I'm glad we finally did, did this. I appreciate the time and uh, I look forward to chatting again sometime in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, brother. Take care. Take care.